We are thankful, our Father, that you rule and you reign. You rule this evening over Israel and over Jerusalem. You rule over Iran and Afghanistan. You rule over the economic uh, union, which we know as Europe. There's a reason those guys have gotten together, and you rule over that. You rule over uh, North Korea. You rule over China. You rule over Russia. You rule over Copenhagen, and you rule over Chicago. You rule over Washington, D.C., and you rule over Frisco, Texas. You rule and you reign over it all. That's the truth. That's the fact of the matter. You are the uh, living God. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There are some things that are fixed that will never change. What a great foundation we have been given. Before you entered our lives, we used to live as foolish men. Spent a lot of time and a lot of years building our houses on sand. And that's why we saw it destroyed. But because of what you have done in our lives and in our hearts, and because you are growing us and maturing us and teaching us, we have learned the wisdom of building our lives and our houses, not on sand, but on the rock. And this rock is Jesus. We thank you for him. We thank you for what he did for us, our Father. We thank you that he came not to be served, but to serve. We thank you that he is at your right hand, and that he lives forever to make intercession for all your saints, for all your people. We're grateful that we don't have to wait for 100 or 200 years and then do some kind of miracle while we're on the earth to be a saint. You call us, you call us saints. We're made holy by the righteousness of Christ. We're all in process, we're all in different places of life. We all come here from different venues and from different situations. But we have come tonight because we need to hear from you. We, we are living in hard times if one is trying to be optimistic. It's hard to be optimistic right now because of the absolute nonsense and evil and wickedness and activity.
activity, which ultimately is against you, that is going on, not only in this nation, but around the world. But we should not be surprised by that. You told us it was going to take place, and you told us it was going to happen. But even over all of that, you still rule. We ask tonight that you would rule in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits. Um, rule over our circumstances. Remind us of who you are. And encourage us. If we've tried to get out from under your rule, may we get right back under it tonight. May we get back under your authority and submit our lives to you again. What a foolish thing it is to try to run from you or to go our own way. It's about time we grew up and stopped that nonsense for all of us. Yet our hearts are prone to wander, as the old hymn says. We're prone to leave the God we love. So save us not only, Lord, from our sin, but from ourselves. Apply your word tonight to the heart of each guy in each situation we would ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We are studying the book of Daniel, and the question is, why? Why are we studying Daniel? Um, why are we studying the Old Testament? I have been uh, attempting to read Bruce Waltke's um, book, An Old Testament Theology. It's just light bedtime reading. As you can see, the sucker weighs about 47 pounds, but it's really good. It's just prime rib. Why are we studying Daniel? Why are we studying the Old Testament? Why are we studying the Bible? Uh, Waltke begins his book by saying this. Um, who is God? What is his name? What is he like? Who am I? What is the meaning of history and what is the meaning of my life? Orthodox Christian theologians, by spiritual conviction, find the answers to these questions in the Bible, not through rationalism, empiricism, or sentimentalism. And then he goes on, and he says, much of the Old Testament is artistic narrative. Through narrative, the prophet historian aims to shape the people of God according to Israel's covenant ideals. You remember the covenants God made with Abraham and Moses and David. To do this, now catch this, to do this, he provides an x-ray image of the soul. The Italians have a saying, Italy is a country of many mysteries, but no secrets. Israel's history is full of plots and intrigues, but the inspired narrative exposes the human heart and then God's response. Their narrative plots Educate the reader, not by preaching or sermonizing, but by showing and enthralling. So much of what we're going to look at tonight in, in Daniel is, is a narrative. We're going to be shown something. We're going to be told a story. 
But it's a story full of meaning, and this story is significant because what it does is it x-rays your soul and my soul. As it x-rays the souls of the men that are in the story, that's it, the same thing happens to you and me. Uh, my soul needs to be scanned. Not necessarily my brain, not necessarily my heart, my soul. What's in my heart? What's in my soul? Spiritually, what's going on in my life? I had a hard time figuring out what... I, I just want to read you a few excerpts out of this preface. Catch this. And I had a hard time picking and choosing because it's so good. Here's a paragraph. He quotes Emily Dickinson who says, There is no frigate like a book to take us lands away. You get on a ship and you can go anywhere. Well, a good book can do that. Listen to this. In the Bible, we sail on the clouds to heaven, submarine down to the depths of our hearts, and are transported back to ancient kingdoms that serve as paradigms for interpreting the present. Why are we studying Daniel? There are parallels to where Daniel was and to where we are. There is prophecy in the book of Daniel that specifically said, this is not for Daniel's time. This is for the times that are to come later. Well, we're in those latter times. He goes on and says, the Bible and explores and answers with authority the most fundamental issues facing human beings. Who are we? What is the world and our place in it? How can we find happiness in this conflicted world? How do we deal with choices that confront us and what happens as a result? This is the stuff of great literature, and the Bible is the great expression of it. This is why we study the Bible. This is why you guys are here on a Wednesday night, to study the Bible. And really, you don't have much of a life if you're here on a Wednesday night studying the Bible, do you? What is wrong with you guys? I mean, you could be out rollerblading. You could be, huh? You could be a Baptist and be in church. That's right. That's just part of the Baptist here. Obviously, there's some bitterness in your heart there, Larry. I'm, I'm, I'm picking it up. It's just oozing out of you, and there's some issues there. Call the counseling department in the morning, about 830. They'll be there for you, man. Yeah. No, but you know what? We got a life, right? We've got a life. And some of us were raised in church, and it was just church. Church, just the building is, if there's no gospel, if there's no living God, if there's no living Christ, why the heck go there? It's just ridiculous. It's a waste. It's just, it's a ritual. Who needs it? Who wants it? I don't want that stuff. You want, the, you want to know God. He's either there or he isn't. He's either real or he isn't. He either changes men or he doesn't. Talked to a guy this week, and I just kind of marveled. This guy was just kind of going over where he was, sharing with me, and I talked with him. The last time I really talked with him in depth was probably two years ago. And he had just decided to move back into his house with his wife and his kids. This guy raised in church. Knew the, knew the gospel since he was a little kid. Christian family, born and raised, all that. But uh, guy just had a weakness for women. And that was kind of the story of his life. 
And a couple years ago, he said that the Lord made a change in his life. And he asked his wife to let him come home and move in. And I remember talking with him, and I, you know, we were just, he was telling me all this stuff, and we're talking, and I said, well, I'll be honest with you. About every hundred, for about every hundred guys I hear say this, about one of them sticks. I'm just being honest with you. Because you were, you were, you were pretty far gone. And I'm not trying to discourage you, I'm just being honest with you. If it's real, the proof is in the pudding. It'll come out if it's real, and if it's not, it's not. It's real. So here's a guy that, that two years ago was just living like hell. And now the guy's just, he's got a business, and he's got kids, and spending time with his wife. And he and his wife have got so many people calling them that, and they're doing so much counseling with couples that are in trouble, where one mate has gotten into an affair, that they're just kind of swimming. And God's using them and all the pain and misery they went through to minister to other couples. And he was telling me about a couple that they got to know. They went off to a Christian summer camp and shared some quarters with a family. And it was a little bit, uh, you know, they didn't know each other. And then one night they got talking and this other gal said, well, you guys, you guys are just perfect. We're not perfect. You have a perfect home. You have a perfect family. Your kids are perfect. And they said, well, let us tell you our story. And suddenly there was a connection. Here's, here's a guy that two years ago was wasting his life, and now he's having really a remarkable ministry. That's what God does. That's what God does. That's why we study the Bible. The Word of God, can I tell you something? The Word of God changes people's lives. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and He changes people's hearts and He changes their lives. That's why you just keep preaching the Bible. You don't have to get gimmicky. You don't have to get cute. You just preach the Word of God. There is power in the Word of God. I'll give you another shot from... Uh, let me give you two more shots from Waltke here, Okay. He's talking about the Bible and why we study it. He says, who am I is the fundamental question of our existence. Our self-identity is the window through which we perceive, now get this, you guys, you guys caffeinated? You alert? Okay. I worry about this room just a little because we darken it, you know, to get guys here and we put the lights here, but it's kind of got this atmosphere to it. And, I don't know. It, it, it could lull you to sleep if you're not careful. So I want to make sure you're up, okay? If you see the guy next to you nodding off, just elbowing right in the chops. <laughs> just in Christian love, of course. Just throw him an elbow, see how he responds. You'll find out if he's walking by the Spirit or not. Know what this says here. He says, he says this. He says, who am, who am I is the fundamental question of our existence. Our self-identity. 
is the window through which we perceive and engage the world. It determines all that we do. Our inscape, I-N-S-C-A-P-E, using the poet Gerald Manley Hopkins term, determines our landscape. Our inscape, what's going on inside, determines our landscape. This identity or inscape is formed by two factors, memory and destiny. This is brilliant. Without a memory, a person loses identity. How many times have you seen a movie about a guy that has amnesia? And what's the problem? What's the whole movie about? He doesn't know who he is. He has no identity. They made a thousand movies with that thing. Without a memory, a person loses identity. And without a history to sustain it, a society and the world become, around it become uh, virtually phantom realities. Memories of our past inform who we are, shape our self-understanding, and give us a vision of our destiny. And that vision moves us forward, forging our will and determination. Memory of the past gives you a sense of destiny for the future. This is why we study the Bible. This is why we study the Old Testament. This is why we study Daniel. It's history. And not only is it history, but in the book of Daniel, which is history, God is telling Daniel where history is going, and we're part of that. We're just not uh, random players on the earth. We are part of God's plan. Every guy in this room is part of God's plan. As John McKay, former president of Princeton University, noted, watch this, the road to tomorrow leads through yesterday. So we study history, the history of the scriptures. Now, I got one more for you. Then we're in the Daniel 2. We're just setting up Daniel 2 here. An old French oxymoron says, the more things change, the more they are the same. This is an appropriate aphorism for understanding God's revelation. Catch this. This is wild. The Rainbow Bridge spanning Niagara Falls began as a kite. Those building the bridge flew a kite across the majestic waterway, and it came down on the other side of the gorge, linking the two sides with a thin string. Beginning with the string, its builders pulled more strings. Then they pulled ropes and eventually steel girders across the gorge. The more the almost unnoticeable bridge changed, the more it became what it was always meant to be. One of the reasons we're studying Daniel, uh, I I do believe that there are some parallels to our day and to what Daniel and his buddies experienced. Uh, They lost their nation. I run into a lot of guys that are worried about losing their nation. They lost their freedom. They lost their liberty. Gosh, I hear about that every single day. Might lose the nation. Might lose liberty. Might lose freedom. They lost it. They lost it. Uh, God was sovereign over their day. God is sovereign over our day. But even though they lost those things and they were going to be in captivity for 70 years, the hand of God was still upon them and they were still right smack in the center of God's plan and God's will and God's destiny. In fact, where they were had been prophesied in their past, in their history, 
God spoke through the prophets and said, this is going to happen. It is going to happen. Now, how can that possibly be? Because God runs history. God owns history. I, I have come to the conclusion. Here's, what I've, here's the conclusion I've come to. Every time I speak, I speak on the same subject. So there's no need for you to ever come back. I pretty much, I, I've come to grips with that. And you know what? I'm okay with it. I, I'll, I'll tell you, pretty much for me, I preach the same thing every time I teach. Teach different passages. But every time I teach a different passage or teach through a different book, I find this same theme. It's on every page of the Bible. And you know what it is? It's the sovereignty and control of God. It's on every page of the Bible. And may I say this to you, it is the most comforting and reassuring doctrine that you'll ever come across in your entire life. You don't need drugs. You need the sovereignty of God. You don't need something to help you to go to sleep at night. You need the sovereignty of God. And when you begin to get this, what it does is, in, in, in our uh, Jeremiah Burroughs, in his book, which I'm going to refer to here in a little bit, wrote this little book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. I've read an ex excerpt from you every, every night that we've met this fall on Daniel. Uh, a little excerpt on contentment. He wrote this book in 1648 for Christians who were going through what he called sad and sinking times. Things weren't looking real good. Well, how do you find contentment? See, see to me, the question is, the question is, when we see the stuff going on that's going on, how do you have joy? How do you have hope? How the heck do you have contentment? You know how you do it? It starts with a kite. Just like they built that bridge across that Niagara waterway. How in the, wor how in the world do you do that? Well, you don't start with steel girders. You start with a kite and you float that sucker over there and you pull that string over. And then it's just string by string. See, Paul said, I have learned to be content in all things. Hey, we can all be content when the economy's rolling and everything's going good and the future's looking good and everything's sweet and everything's fine and the vacation home and you got the RV and gas is 29 cents a gallon and da da da. And you know, you got 9 million in, ret in your retirement account and everything's just. Paul says, I've learned to be content, whatever my situation. Turn with me to Daniel 2. Daniel 2 is quite a chapter. I love Daniel 2. And interestingly enough, in Daniel 2, you know what we find? We, we find the sovereignty and control of God. It's everywhere in the Bible. You can't, let me say this to you guys. The only way you find sanity is is by building on the foundation of the sovereignty of God. The only way you ever find peace, how does somebody find peace? I mean true peace that passes all understanding. Well, if your God's not sovereign, you're not going to have that peace. There, you, you can find peace. There's peace here and peace there. It doesn't last. Jesus talked about the peace which passes all understanding. That's a peace that only comes if your God is sovereign and in absolute control of everything that's going on in the whole world. And see, when you have that kind of peace, 
then you've got mental health. And you don't worry yourself sick over what might happen or what could happen or, oh, my God, this. I get about 200 emails a week basically telling me how screwed up things are. And once again, that's why in the mornings I get my black leather Bible and I get my red leather chair because I got to recalibrate. Oh, and those emails are pretty much on target. But see, this is my foundation, and this is my anchor, and this is the ballast in my boat. Daniel 2. Uh, Daniel 2 is quite a chapter. We won't get through all of it tonight. Um, In Daniel 2, all over it is the uh, sovereignty and um, control of God. When I read Daniel 2, it calms me down. When I read Daniel 2, it gives me the peace which passes all understanding. When I read Daniel 2, uh, it's like getting in a... uh, You ever been up in Colorado? You ever go up there with some friends, rent a condo, and it's about 16 degrees, and you go out on the balcony, and they got this hot tub. And that sucker's coming in at about 109 degrees. And I'm telling you, and the stars are out, and you just kind of slide into that tub. That's Daniel 2, as far as I'm concerned. Now, last week, I gave you some words that began with, oh, tonight, Doug, I got some words that begin uh, with F, and we're going to see these words. It's how I break up the chapter. The first word I got for you is flummoxed. Oh, yeah, this is a word. Flummoxed. Reader's Digest vocabulary word. F-L-U-M. Flum. F-L-U, from the uh, Hebrew, uh, I don't know, I'm making this up. Uh, Flummoxed. F-L-U-M-M-O-X-E-D. Flummoxed. It begins in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, with the king flummoxed. The word flummoxed means Total and absolute confusion. Uh, Flummox means you have uh, rampant uncertainty. Daniel chapter 2. Now what's happening in 1? Daniel and his buddies, young teenage guys, have been taken from their nation of Judah. Because of the judgment of God, they've been taken to Babylon. Last week, we looked at all the changes that are going on in these lives. These guys are young guys, probably teenagers. I I spoke at um, Liberty University uh, Monday morning, chapel service. 10,000 kids. That's a lot of kids. And I'm sitting there, and they're doing the worship, and I'm looking around at these kids, and I'm thinking, these kids are about the age of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Young guys. Young guys. And they lost everything, lost their families, they lost it all. So in this foreign country, here's what happens. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. Now, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. And his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Now, who's Nebuchadnezzar? He's head of Babylon. Listen, this is the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. This is the most powerful man on the face of the earth. He's got it all. You would think, would you not, that the most powerful man on the face of the earth, everything at his beck and call, he's got all the money he wants, he's got all the clothes he wants, he's got all the women he wants, he's got all the wine he wants, 
He's got the military. He's got it all. Everybody in the world does what he says, and he can't sleep. You know why he can't sleep? He's flummoxed. And why is he flummoxed? Well, he's had some dreams. Most powerful man on the earth can't. His spirit is troubled. You ever have your spirit troubled at night? Here's the most powerful. I mean, you, if, hey, let me ask you something. If the most powerful man on the face of the earth can't sleep, what the heck are your chances of sleeping? He can't sleep. Now, we ought to say this about this king who's the most powerful man on the face of the earth. He's a king, but he's not the king of kings. He's just a king. Here's a great verse, Proverbs 21.1. And this is why this guy's all screwed up. So why is he having dreams? Let me tell you why. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart, here he is. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he wishes. Where did the dreams come from? From God. And you know... Uh, why was his spirit troubled? Because God troubled his spirit. This sucker lives like he's in control, and he is not in control. He's troubled, he's flummoxed, he's concerned, he's uncertain. His, he can't sleep. Now, here's my next word. Flabbergasted. Flabbergasted basically covers... Verses uh, 2 through 13. Now, in verse 1, you got the king flummoxed. But in these following verses, his advisors are flabbergasted. Why are they flabbergasted? Well, let's read and see what happens here. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. You know, all these kings, they have all these guys around them. Went to Oxford and Cambridge and Harvard and Yale and Stanford. All these guys, you know, big, massive brains. They've never had real jobs. They're just write academic papers and, you know. Anyway, you, you know what I'm talking about. They got all these guys around them, advisors who know all this stuff. It, it, it defines them. Magicians. Remember in Exodus 7, verse 7, Aaron threw down his rod in front of Pharaoh, and it turned into a what? A snake. Uh, and, but then there were some magicians that worked for Pharaoh, and then they duplicated it. How did they do that? Well, there's such a thing as black magic. There's demonic activity. There are counterfeit works of Satan. These guys, let me tell you something. These guys are tied into demonic powers. You should understand that. I talked with a friend that was... Uh, talked with a friend a while back who spent a significant dinner, two, three-hour dinner with a guy who was an advisor to a president that most of us would think was pretty... Uh, repulsive to the things of God. And he was often in the White House in that administration. And he told my friend over dinner, every time I walk in there, I feel a demonic presence. That's what's going on here. The king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers. Hey, these guys can come up with stuff, but it's counterfeit. 
sorcerers and the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to tell the king his dream. So they came in and stood before the king. The king said to them, I had, a, uh, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Okay, well, that's what these guys do. These guys interpret the dream. Okay, king, you tell us the dream, we'll tell you what it means. Watch this. The Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. This is the drill. This is how they work it. The king replied to the Chaldeans, and this is where they're about to get flabbergasted. The command for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn from limb to limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. Now, he's messing with them now. Because they're good on you getting together and, you know, having a staff meeting and saying, okay, now what he dream? Because the king always says, well, here was my dream, now you tell me what it means. And they get together, and they get their story straight, and they say, well, it means this, O king, live forever, and that, that. And, you know, and he was sick and tired of this stuff. He's not messing with these guys. He is troubled in his spirit, and he wants to know what the heck this stuff means. So basically he says to him, hey, I'm not playing this game with you bozos. I'm not telling you the dream. If you're so hot and you know what you're doing, you tell me the dream. Oh, and then if you tell me the dream, then I'll believe what you say is the interpretation. But if you can't tell me the dream, you're history. They're flabbergasted by this because their tails are on the line. Um, verse 8, the king replied, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time inasmuch as you have seen that the command from me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. Inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult. And there was no one else who could declare it to the king except God's. They had it almost right. Whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Well, they're right about that. I mean, this is, about, this is why they're flabbergasted. What are, you, what are you talking about? You want us to tell you the dream? Well, how can we know what's in your mind? How can we read what's in your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, we say we can read thoughts and all that, but we can't. We're just a bunch of losers and a bunch of con men. Listen, you've got to work with us here. He's not working with anybody. This guy is serious because he is troubled in the spirit. So what do you got here now? You got a crisis, and it's just starting to heat up. Um, look, at, uh, look at verse 12. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. Oh, and this is interesting. And they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Interesting. Have you noticed that the Christian life is full of crisis? At least it seems mine is. You kind of go from crisis to crisis in the Christian life. Sorry to tell you this, guys, but that's kind of how it worked. Um, we walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. The Christian life is a life of suffering. The Christian life is a life that's a hard life. It's a hard life. Don't let those bozos on TV convince you. It's a hard life. Uh, once again, I feel like a broken record. It's because I am a broken record. 
I think every session this fall, I've quoted these verses. Jesus said, in the world you'll have tribulation. Some translations say trouble. They're both right. In the world, if you're a Christian, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation. There is a place called heaven, and this isn't it. Is it? But we make all our plans. We make all our goals. I noticed a few years ago, every goal I ever set is a pain-free goal. And so are yours. Don't you set goals? Sure you do. Every goal you've ever set in your life is pain-free. You want things to work out. Uh, That's not what God does. God puts us, can I tell you something? God designs crisis for his people. He leads us into crisis, and he hymns us in, And there's no way out, and there's no escape, and sometimes it could be your life on the line, sometimes it's your financial future, sometimes it's your marriage. He'll put you in a situation where there is no hope, and there is no escape, and there is no way, and then you know what he'll do? He'll make a way. That's what he does. Anybody in here ever had God do that for them? Let me see your hands. Okay, you've seen God do that, right? Well, guess what? You're going to go through it again. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God, Acts 14, 22 says. So read the word of God. That's what you read. Live off the word of God. God shoots straight with you. This is a hard world. And let me tell you something. Christianity is not real popular around here. Used to be. Not anymore. We're the bad guys. We're the problem. We're too narrow. We're too exclusive. There are many ways. There's not many ways. There's one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man, no man comes to the Father but by me. You can't get to the Father through anybody except Jesus. Allah won't get you there. Mary will not get you there. I said that in Mobile. This guy here is from Mobile. I had a guy come up to me during the break at a conference. This sucker, if he was, if he was an inch, he was 6'11". And he came up to me, he said, I got a, he's a nice guy. I think, I think he was nice. And he said, hey, I got, a, I got a little bone to pick with you. I said, okay. He said, you said in there that uh, you shouldn't pray to Mary. I said, yeah. He said, well, I think you should pray to Mary. I said, you're wrong. On the basis of 1 Timothy 2, what's your basis? There's one mediator between God and man. He said, yeah, but see, God listens to his mother. <laughs> First Timothy 2, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Why would you go through the mother when you can go directly to the son? That's fable. That's idolatry. We hold up Jesus. How do they get into that? Oh, it's not popular to say Jesus is the only way. But Jesus is the only way. And if you're here and you're praying to Mary, I'm going to tell you something, my friend. That's idolatry. You pray to Christ. You know what Mary said at the wedding of Cana to the men standing around? She said to them, you do whatever he says. She's still saying that today. You want to know what Mary has to say? She says, you do whatever he says. She points you to her son, not to her. 
So we've got a crisis going on. Today in America, if you hold to biblical Christianity, and, and see, as we're going to go through Daniel, we're going to see that their Christianity, their form of Old Testament Christianity, was not real popular. Because you see, they believed in the one true God, and this Babylonian culture believed in many gods, many false gods, many counterfeit gods. Kind of what we got going on today. So you got a crisis. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, you know, we're called to live by faith. And I love Martin Lloyd-Jones. I love his definition of faith. And what is faith? How do you break it down? Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones would often say that faith is a refusal to panic. Because when you get in a crisis, what happens? You tend to panic. You get a phone call, oh my gosh. The doctor, those tests came back. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. You panic. You know, you, 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 you get a phone call or you go in the office, you get a pink slip. Oh my gosh, how are we going to make it? You panic. You panic. All this stuff happens. Oh, my wife's upset. She's going to leave. She met some guy on the internet. What are you? You panic. Faith, faith is a refusal to panic. Because you serve a God who is in absolute control of just about everything. <laughs> Not quite. You serve a God who is in control of all things. See, that's the sovereignty of God. Uh, Psalm 103, his throne is in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. His control rules over all. Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. He makes kings have dreams and he troubles their spirits. Oh, and God creates crisis. And when God creates crisis, it scares us. But if you've got the anchor of the word of God, you don't have to panic. You just stand firm, therefore. Right? Be strong in the Lord, Ephesians 6. Be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore. Three times in that passage, stand firm. You stand on the word of God. Okay, you got a crisis, and now it affects Daniel and his buddies. Now, I want you to watch what happens here. And I got another F. All right? This time we got finesse. Finesse. Note Daniel's finesse. This guy doesn't panic, even though they're hunting him to kill him. Because he's one of the choice young men brought in from Judah with the three buddies. We saw that last week. It's in chapter 1. Look at verse 14. Then Daniel replied, this is, this is classic. This is powerful. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment. Gosh. And he's a teenager. There's the wisdom of God. When, when people are panicking and there's crisis, you know what they're looking for? They're looking for somebody with discretion and discernment. You know what that's called? That's called leadership. Leadership that comes from character. Leadership that comes from holiness, tied into a holy God. The whole world can be falling apart. Stand firm. Stand firm. He replied with discretion and discernment. Watch this. This is wild. 
Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. So here's the hitman. And Daniel says, uh, hey, hey, can I ask you a question? For what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? What, 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 can you tell me what this is all about? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. Now watch this. Watch this. You talk about leadership. You talk about guts. You talk about courage. You talk about pulling the trigger and not waiting six months to make a decision. You talk about going ahead and doing what's right and putting your own tail on the line. Watch this. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Now let me tell you something about Daniel. He's, um, he's a rookie. He's part of this group of guys they brought over from Judah. He's, he's not playing major league ball at this point in his life. You know, he's, he's playing double-A ball in Reno. Now, he was there in Babylon, but you know what I'm saying? He wasn't a guy in the limelight. He wasn't a heavy hitter. He, he was, uh, you know, he's one of the, he was the first-round draft choice. But they're not going to pitch this guy for another three, four years. So what I'm saying to you is he can kind of, his position that he's in, he can kind of just fade into the background. But what does he do? He goes to the king, identifies himself. He said, would you give me time so that I can declare the dream and the interpretation to you? He just put his neck right on the table. Did he not? Yes, he did. Then, then Daniel, this is 17, went to his house and informed his friends. That's your next F, friends. You don't live the Christian life by yourself. It's a big mistake. You're not the lone ranger. Satan always tries to take a man and isolate him from other men. Are there any men in your life? Anybody you can talk straight with? You got to have some guys in your life. You don't have to have, you know, a whole handful. I mean, you don't have to have 38 guys, but you ought to have a guy or two you talk straight to. You can ask you anything. You can ask them anything. You look out for each other. David didn't sin with Bathsheba until after Jonathan was dead. Were David and Jonathan tight? Were they buddies? They talked straight to each other? Yeah, they look out for each other? Yeah, they did. Jonathan dies. I don't see that he ever replaced the friendship. And you go back to David's life. I'm switching stories here. But you go back to David's life in 2 Samuel 11, and he's out on his balcony, and he's in the, he's in the hot tub sipping the Jack Daniels is what he's doing. And he should have been out leading his guys in the battle. Did anybody come in and say, oh, king, live forever, get your butt out there and lead your men? No, because they couldn't say that, because he's the king. If, if Jonathan had been alive, you know what would have happened? Jonathan would have walked in there, he would have jumped and kicked that tub right over, said, what are you doing? You can't talk to me like this, I'm the king of Israel. You're nothing, I knew you were, you were a punk. Get your butt up and get out there and lead those guys. You can't talk to me. I can talk to you any way I want. 
I'm supposed to be king in the first place. God just stuck you in, and I went along with it. Don't give me this king crap. <laughs> and why would he talk to him like that? Because he loved the guy. He cared about him. He didn't want him to go down. Daniel, this is great wisdom here. Daniel went to his friend. That's why. He's in trouble. There's crisis. Watch this. So Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of, wise, of the wise men of Israel, uh, of, of, of Babylon. Sorry. With the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So they go to knees and they pray to Almighty God. God who, the God who governs the world, the God who governs kings, the God who governs nation, who rules over all. They pray to this God. Verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. God gave him the dream. So here's the next F. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. God's faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with you. Hey, let me ask you something. Has God been faithful to you in the past? Are you in a situation right now where you're desperate for God to come through? Do you need him to be faithful? Do you? Well, then can I tell you something? Based on the word of God, he'll be faithful. He just, you know what he wants? He just wants you to trust him. I'm really making an effort not to live as an atheist. I really mean that. I'm dead serious. So you're not an atheist. No, I'm not. But sometimes I live like one. Sometimes I live like he's not there. Sometimes I wonder if he's going to come through. Sometimes I wonder if his providence is going to take care of me. Sometimes I wonder if his, I think, oh my gosh, what if he doesn't, what's this going to, what if this? I'm an atheist. I'm an atheist. I'm a Christian, Bible-carrying atheist. Why don't I trust this God who has come through for me about 12,000 times? Why don't I just trust him? And when I realize what I'm doing, I just kind of slap myself around. I say, what are you, an idiot? I mean, I have these conversations. I mean, usually not out loud, but, uh, you know, sometimes they're out loud if I don't think anyone's in the house. It happened about six months ago. I was talking to myself in the kitchen. I didn't know my daughter Rachel was there. She was in the back bed. She'd come up and was taking a nap, come up to do some stuff and didn't. And she walked in and she said, Dad, was that you talking? And I said, me? No. <laughs> and I said, yeah, it was, Rach. I said, yeah, I kind of talked to myself. I didn't know anyone was here. She said, yeah, I'm starting to do that, Dad. I said, that's a sign of maturity. I'm trying to, you know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying not to be an atheist. Because I know he's there. Why don't I live like it and enjoy the privileges of being his son? Hold on. I don't want to miss anything. Oh, oh I got to read this. This is, all right, watch this. This is, listen. The, 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 here you go. Your sovereignty. Remember I said I'm a broken record? I teach the same thing all the time. Here it is. And I'm just teaching the text. Watch how he prays in response to this great God. And you know what, guys? God, it, it, listen. 
This Christian life stuff is not about going to church on Sunday. That's Texas Christianity. You know what I mean? That's Bible Belt Christianity. Oh, yeah, I go to church with the wife and kids, you know? Oh, why don't you knock that off? Why don't you give him your heart and give him your life and ask Christ to come into your life? And quit calling the shots in your life and ask him to be your savior. But you, know, you don't need a savior, you need to be Lord. Because every time you take control, you screw it up, just like I do. Right? Get to know him. I mean, this is real stuff. He works. He works. Let me tell you something. He answers prayer. He does amazing stuff. He'll scare the crud out of you, but then he'll save you. I mean, he'll scare you while you're waiting to see if he's going to come through. And he always seems to come through at just kind of the last second, doesn't he? And then he saves you. And you know what that does? It just builds your faith for the next time because there's going to be another time, isn't there? Probably different. It'll look different, have different, you know, circumstances. But there's going to be another time. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to come through for you because that's what he does. He saves and he sustains. He keeps you going. He provides. I lost all my savings. I lost all my, you know. Well, let me ask you something. Did you eat today? Yeah, but man, I had... You know, I, I, I had, you know, six million there in my... Well, what the heck do you need six million for? Huh? What did that ever do for you other than make you proud and arrogant and cause you to trust in it? It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You know how rich men enter the kingdom of God? They keep giving it away. Godly men who are wealthy... They give it away. They just keep giving it away. Oh, and you know what happens when they give it away? He keeps giving to them. Because the money doesn't have their heart. Christ has their heart. Right? They don't love money. You can't love God and money. Well, you know, these guys don't love money. They love Christ. And the money's just a way that they can... You say, well, man, I'd like to try that. You're not mature enough yet. <laughs> Sorry, that's just the way. I mean, if you were, you'd have it. Right? You couldn't handle it. Screw you up. You'd buy a hot tub. <laughs> and some Jack Daniels. Uh, yeah, you know. And you'd drown. I mean, it'd kill you, man. You can't handle it. You'd buy a condo. Don't buy one. Just go up and rent one for the weekend. And get some Diet Coke. All right? You'll be all right. I, uh, that's the wrong thing. Look at this. Daniel 2. Watch sovereignty. Watch this stuff. And give glory to God as we read this. Okay? I'm telling you guys, this is better than anything you get at Walgreens. Right here. Okay? Any psychologist in town can't give you what this says. Watch this. Daniel said, I'm in 20 of Daniel 2. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. The name of the Lord. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are saved. Those who know thy name will put their trust in thee. You ever studied the names of God? Gosh, okay. For wisdom and power belong to him. How much wisdom does God have? 
All. How much power does God have? All. That's why we're right on schedule. Today, in America, and in the whole world. I don't care whether you live. You live in Iran, you live in Baghdad, I don't care where you live. It's all on schedule. According to his wisdom and power. Watch this. It is he who changes the times and the seasons. Earliest snow day in the history of Idaho. Really? Gosh, Mother Nature. No. Almighty God changes the times. He removes kings and establishes kings. And he doesn't ask you what you think. And he doesn't ask me. He just does it. And sometimes, well, why does God do that? Because he's God. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. There are some things that God just doesn't tell us. They're secret. Well, I don't know why God does this, and I don't know why God... That's right, it's a secret. He hasn't told us. And if he told you, you couldn't comprehend it anyway. Right? You couldn't get it. So he doesn't tell you. So what do you do? You just trust him. It is he who changes the time of the epics. He removes kings and establishes kings. That's his call. That's not their call. It's not some caucus getting together. He does it. That's all of Okay. He does it. He calls it. He runs it. I recently got a guy said, well, if this is true, then how involved should I be? As, as involved as your conscience tells you to get. We live in a country of freedoms, and, you know, if you feel like you, 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 know, you, you need to do something, then you go do it. But, but if you do it, do it under the hand of God, understanding he's in authority and he's making the call. Okay. He gives wisdom to wise men, knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. What, what kings dream in the middle of the night is hidden. But God reveals it because God only knows it. God gave it to him in the first place. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. He, he, he sources God. He gives glory to God. Lord, this came from you. I didn't come up with this. I don't, I'm not, I don't know. This is from you. Hey, guys, everything you have comes from him. Everything is a gift from God. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Let's finish up with a shot from Jeremiah Burroughs. Okay? So in these sad and sinking times where we worry and we're concerned about this and about that and this and, you know, another recession or this or oh, whatever it is you're concerned and worried and you heard on the news or... Yeah. Listen to what Burroughs said back in the 1640s. And I t you know how I tie this in with all this stuff? See, how, how, how do I find peace? How do I find contentment in sad and sinking times? I've got to float a kite. Paul says, I have learned to be content. He didn't say I learned it overnight. I have learned. So I keep putting these fibers from the word of God into my heart. That's how I build a bridge 
from fear and worry to contentment and peace. You see, I'm worried about my kids. God loves your kids more than you do. I'm worried about my grandkids. God loves them more than you God has a plan. God has a destiny. Does he not for your children and for your grandchildren? Does God not have a plan? Is he not sovereign? Yes. Then relax. Relax. You be the best role model for them you can possibly be. Steve, I screwed up. I did this. We've all screwed up. Look at us. We're a bunch of screw-ups in here. Right? But as old John Newton said, Jesus is a great Savior. Forget the past. Forget your screw-ups. Bring it to Christ. Repent. Turn around and follow him and start showing them what it looks like. Right? And don't waste your time. Oh, I didn't do that. Forget that stuff. It's over. It's done. Follow him and show them. Listen to what this guy said. God can work above, beyond, and even contrary to means, any means. He often makes the fairest flowers of man's endeavors to wither and brings improbable things to pass in order that the glory of the undertaking may be given to himself. Indeed, if his people stand in need of miracles to bring about their deliverance, miracles fall as easily from God's hands as to give his people daily bread. God's blessing many times is a secret from his servants so that they do not know from which way it is coming. God can, he can hit you from any way and probably not the way you think it's going to come. God would have us to depend on him, though we do not see how the thing may be brought about. Otherwise, we do not show a quiet spirit. Hmm. You know what this is about? Trust in the sovereignty of God. I'm in a spot, and I'll tell you something. It's complete. You ever been in a spot that's completely out of your control? And, and maybe, maybe in order for your situation to change and to be altered and to be repaired, it doesn't depend on your heart changing. It depends on somebody else's heart changing. They're wrong. They're out of line. And what they're doing affects you. You know what? How in the world can you have any peace? Because they're under the sovereignty and control of the shepherd. You don't know how God's working in their life. God's working. God's working. This guy I talked about earlier that I talked with who was in sexual sin and living with another woman a couple years ago, I ran in his wife two and a half years ago and she was absolutely trembling with fear because she was going to lose her family. This guy's heart was hard to God. And now they're in ministry together. I don't think she saw that one coming. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him in his way, in his time. Let's bow. We thank you, Father, for your sovereignty. You flummox these guys. You flummox us. You flummox the whole world. Sometimes you flabbergast us. We don't have a clue what's going on. We get blindsided by circumstances, by people. 
We find ourselves in absolute, our feet are planted in absolute midair. Our lives are turned upside down. We don't know where we are. We don't know what we're doing. We are absolutely in total confusion. And you're God. And you have a plan. Help us to fly that kite tonight with just a thin little string of trust in your sovereignty. You're our God. You govern our lives. You govern the whole world. We cast our care upon you because you care for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.